Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The world's largest outdoor cocktail party is Saturday. It's not getting a lot of love as Florida and Georgia prepare to face each other in this long-standing rivalry, but still an important game to both fan bases and to college football and the fabric of college football. And another thing with this game we need to be paying attention to is the future of it. It's been played in Jacksonville practically every year since 1904, but that might be changing in the near future as the SEC looks at expansion. Hello, I'm Brendan Marcello. You're listening to the College Football Daily. This is October 26th. I want to welcome in Graham Hall, who covers the Florida Gators for our 24-7 Sports Network, and Jordan Hill, who covers the Georgia Bulldogs for 24-7 Sports. Gentlemen, before we jump into this game just this week, I don't think a lot of people have been talking about this nationally uh, outside of the two fan bases, but Florida and Georgia, the, it's an incredible rivalry that we've just grown accustomed to seeing in Jacksonville, but that contract ends after 2023 with an option to roll it over to, to 2025, but really after that, it's anybody's guess where this game's going to be played, whether it's home and home or maybe stays in Jacksonville or some type of hybrid model. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'll start, Brandon, and just say that there's there's been a lot of questions, and it's been kind of funny to see how this has played out. It seems like one of the, the storylines that always comes out with Georgia, especially during the offseason, is what's going to be next with Jacksonville. That's like the, the question that you just know July, August, you know, right before we get into fall camp, what's going to happen with that game? And, you know, truthfully, I didn't think there was going to be much change. And then, you know, on Monday, Georgia and Florida put out a joint statement basically saying, saying, look, we're focused on this year. You know, we know that we have this option. We'll have those conversations. But the fact they felt the need to put out a statement at all kind of says all you need to know. You know, I think it's, you know, probably likely that they pick up that option, that that game is played through 2025. And then after that, you know, it really feels like this could be a home and home situation. You know, it's still not clear if that's going to be the case. But, you know, it's something Kirby Smart has pushed for for quite some time, pretty much the entire time he has been the Georgia head coach. You know, I, I kind of compared it today on our pa- uh, podcast to the Iron Bowl, which, you know, that's going back. But for the longest time that was played in Birmingham, Kirby Smart understands that there would be a whole lot of value, especially on the recruiting side, to have Florida play in Athens and also for Georgia to play down in Gainesville. I think it's a situation that, you know, people talk about tradition and people talk about things they want to see continue. And, and I understand that. And it's always a big deal for Georgia fans to go down there to, to go to 
the beach and then get a chance to go to Jacksonville. But, you know, I think that's a big opportunity for both programs. And I think it's really just a matter of time before we see this become a home and home. Yeah, you mentioned there the the recruiting aspect of it. As it stands now, recruits can go to the game, but they have to be given tickets and they're sitting in the stands. It's not like that on-campus recruiting visit where you get to visit, you're standing on the sidelines before the game, you're visiting campus, you're going through all the facilities. Obviously, that's not happening in Jacksonville. And that's a big thing, a sticking point for Kirby Smart at Georgia. Meanwhile, at Florida, Graham, they, they've been kind of quiet on all this, especially Athletics Director Scott Strickland, at least publicly. Kind of where do they stand with all this heading into this weekend and the years beyond? Yeah, going back into July when Kirby Smart first made his comments about wanting to move the game and get that recruiting weekend back, you kind of saw the University of Florida make a little bit of a cautious approach to the subject matter, knowing that they didn't really have the leverage right now and were kind of competing with a a program that had a lot of it. You know, when you talk about the politics of college football, this is a Georgia athletic director in their second year. And now in the first year that Georgia is the home team, they're going to kind of go away from this quote unquote handshake agreement that existed between previous athletic directors that said that neither team, neither home team would bring recruits to this game. Now that's kind of gone away in a year where Georgia is the defending national champion and has had a lot of success on the recruiting trail. And now they're kind of increasing that advantage right now. And and Florida being the team that has kind of been on the outside looking in, in years past, has a new coach and has an athletic director that really didn't choose to be the first one to quote unquote strike first really and go back on this agreement. This is a situation where Georgia is kind of, you know, making the decision for both programs there and now Florida will have a chance next year to kind of strike even the playing field and bring some recruits to Jacksonville. But this is a a weekend that for Florida, you know, fans, players, especially in the state, they've always kind of looked at seeing Jacksonville as a taste of the NFL experience as a a destination. In a sense, there's a lot of Florida players who knew, you know, players played in this game and always kind of dreamed of making that trip, crossing the bridge to Jacksonville. And the thought of kind of that going away, I I think there is a generation that kind of hangs on to appreciating that that excursion, the neutrality of it all. And to see that kind of go away for recruiting purposes, I think that'd be kind of difficult for some to fathom. But really, as you saw in July, this is not necessarily Florida's decision to make right now. Georgia has kind of made the decision for them moving forward. Yeah. And this is obviously a situation where it's going to hurt the city of Jacksonville if they were to move it out. They're, you know, they talk about a revenue boon for the city around $30 million a year with this. But it isn't like Florida and Georgia are getting all that money in, in response to this. I see numbers between one to two million dollar payout. And that's just a drop in the bucket these days. And especially when you're considering that the game takes a home game away from one of those teams, Florida or Georgia, and they're going to be making much more money just individually, but also their cities, their campuses would be making a lot of money too if those games were played there. So it's going to be interesting to watch. This conversation will heat up more, it looks like, in the next calendar year. But again, it appears that there are some serious discussions going to have to be made here because the SEC is weighing a new scheduling format, which most likely looks like it'll be a nine-game schedule and seven S eight-game conference-only schedule when Texas and Oklahoma join the conference in 2025. And again, pretty much lines up with that contract as it looks to roll over. All right, so this week's game, Georgia opened as a 22-point favorite, maybe 22 and a half, depending on what sports book you look at. It's the largest point margin Georgia has ever been favored against Florida going into this game. The Bulldogs undefeated. Florida struggling, obviously, a little bit. Gentlemen, is this game going to be closer than what we're seeing in these sports books, or is it going to be even worse? Because this, we haven't seen a line like this since Steve Spurrier was at Florida and just demolishing Georgia back in the mid-90s. 
Graham, I'll let you uh, start it off. I'll put the pressure on me. I, I see a small path to victory for Florida. It would come with them executing in all phases of the game, not to kind of use a cliche here, but really you've seen a defense that if they can produce turnovers, if they can stop the offense and Florida offensively can minimize their mistakes, whether that's an Anthony Richardson turnover, miscommunication, undisciplined penalty, or a miss on special teams even where you have a successful drive and you can't get it to result in points against a team that you're going to need every bit of help that you can get. That's going to be an easy way for Florida to kind of see this thing unravel here. I go back to last year and it kind of started promisingly for Florida. You kind of had a 0-0 game there in the first quarter until what I just said. Florida made a lot of mistakes. The fumble by Anthony Richardson, the pick six by N'Kobe Dean. Florida kind of went into that second that second half thinking, okay, we shot ourselves in the foot there in the, at the end of the first half and turned a, a winnable game into an eventual blowout there. And this is a team that has not really shown a penchant for improving a lot of those things. Anthony Richardson has still struggled with turnovers at times. He's put the football on the ground. He's been picked off. Defenses have, have recorded pick sixes against him already this season. So to think that he's going to do it against one of the best defenses in the country, I don't think there's a lot of basis for that right now. But this is a rivalry game. That's, that's what I'm going to leave it at. The emotions of a game like this, knowing how much this matters for both programs, especially for an underdog team like Florida that a lot of people are counting out right now. They are probably feeling disrespected by that line, as you mentioned. This is a situation where if Georgia can underestimate the opponent, kind of like what they did a couple weeks ago against Missouri, and Florida can play mistake-free football like they did against Utah, you could absolutely have a game here in the fourth quarter, but it's going to take a flawless 45 minutes before that for Florida to be in this thing. To me, really, the only thing that really strikes, uh, you know, or stands out to me is, I mean, there are factors in Florida's favor. I mean, you know, the fact that Georgia's still a little banged up. We don't know if wide receiver A.D. Mitchell's going to play. We don't know if defensive tackle Jalen Carter, who you could argue may be Georgia's best player on either side of the ball. Still don't know if he is going to play. The fact that Florida is coming off a bye week, I'm sure that that's helpful. And, you know, just the history of this series, I can think of multiple times where you go into this game in Jacksonville. You know, it's so cliche to say, throw the records out but there are times where everybody thinks oh well you know Florida's got this one Georgia goes down there and pulls up an upset and vice versa I think about Will Muschamp's last year in Gainesville by the time the Georgia game got there everybody had decided you know they may not win another game this thing is well then they ran all over the Georgia defense now I will say a big uh, thing that stands out a big difference between then and now. Uh, Mark Rick was the head coach then. Kirby Smart's the head coach now. I think it's a little bit harder to pull off something like that. And and two, Kirby really harps on what this rivalry means. You know, Chris Smith, one of the veterans uh, safeties on this team, was asked on Monday. You know, when you came in to Georgia, you know, who kind of taught you about this rivalry? Was it some of the older defensive backs? He said, no, Kirby. Kirby tells all the players what this rivalry means. There was some audio leaked last year from his or his halftime speech, you know, talking about wanting to break Florida. And I mean, you can tell this guy played in this rivalry and, and maybe more important, given his standing as a head coach, he's lost this rivalry before. He understands what it feels like to leave Jacksonville with a loss. And I think he lets his players know about about that and reminds them that they don't want to feel that sting. Much more on Florida, Georgia after these messages. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. 
conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Considering that Georgia is such a heavy favorite in this game, if Florida were to somehow pull off an upset, would it be the biggest upset in the rivalry's history or the biggest game, biggest upset since when? That is a very tough question. I mean, that that one against uh, must whatever would have been must champs last year would have definitely been a big one. And then really in the 2000s, I mean, anytime basically Georgia won, you know, I think that the, the year that I think it might have been 49 to 10 or whatever the, the year it might have been 07, I think when no Sean scored the early touchdown and the entire team runs on, you know, that was, I would say, considered an upset just because, I mean, uh, you know, growing up in the state of Georgia, it was very rare that Georgia beat Florida. I mean, they dominated from about the time Steve Spurrier took over and even after Spurrier. I mean, Zook had a lot of success uh, and then obviously the Urban Meyer success. So it'd be hard for me to say if this would be the biggest upset, but it would definitely be the biggest one of the Kirby Smart era, kind of the current era, I would say, of Georgia football. I think it's really interesting to look back two years ago also to see where this Florida football program was. I mean, they were on the cusp of a New Year's Six Bowl, you know, were very competitive with Georgia in a, in a game where they lost Kyle Pitts in 2020. And to think that this is now a situation where Florida is looking at potentially a, a six and six finish and being once again sixth or, or fifth in the SEC East is, I think, kind of a, a hard pill to swallow for a lot of people. But I'm with you, Jordan. That one where Georgia celebrated in the first quarter uh, and the whole team runs out. That was, I think, a, a turning point in a sense for a lot of Florida fans in this rivalry that that Georgia was no longer looking at themselves as an inferior team and, and was they, they kind of shocked Florida in that game there. And ever since, I think a lot of people have, have looked a little bit more as this at this Georgia team is not the a team for so long that they ragged on and said, you know, 40 years without a championship. This is really a Georgia team now that has their respect. And for a first year head coach and Billy Napier, who has never been to this game, even though he's got family rooting for Georgia, family rooting for Tennessee, never had a chance to experience this growing up. I think that you look at that and it just doesn't, not to say it doesn't mean anything to him. Absolutely not. But you have a head coach that understands that you have assistants and analysts in Georgia that understand that a little bit better. And right now, Georgia is absolutely on top. And I think that they certainly have a chance to give Florida their comeuppance after for so long. It was very one-sided in a rivalry where neither fan base wanted to admit that they were the inferior program. The last time I think we had, I think we had two field stormings in this rivalry in Jacksonville in back-to-back years, 84 and 85. Can you imagine fans storming the field at a neutral site? 50% 50% of the crowd is out of, out of the stadium. The other 50% is rushing the field and tearing down the goalposts. Different different days, but 
who knows? This would be well, a the, huge upset. The interesting thing is, you know, people say neutral site, but Jordan, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but go back to last year and Georgia fans absolutely dominated the attendance there in, in the state of Florida. I, you know, give them a lot of credit for traveling as well as they did. I always say that it's correlated with how good your team is because, you know, a two and 10 team is not necessarily packing the stands every single week, but those Georgia fans absolutely are willing to travel to this one and, and kind of give their team a home field advantage in Florida's backyard. I mean, this is only an hour and 15 minute drive from Gainesville. Athens is a lot farther away and, and they have absolutely made it not a 50-50 split in, in recent years. Yeah, I'll be really interested to see what it looks like on Saturday. You know, you think of Georgia's opener against Oregon, obviously with that being in Atlanta, you know, you expected Georgia to have much more fans and that was the case. But then, like you said, Graham, what does it look like on Saturday? Again, this is the defending national champion and, you know, a lot of fans say, hey, go down a few days early, go to the beach, play some golf. And, and then go see if Georgia can continue this uh, little winning streak they have in this rivalry. Yeah, I was looking through the stats. This is interesting to me. Both offenses are in the top five nationally in yards per play. Didn't realize that. Realized Georgia would be up there. Didn't realize Florida would be up there. How does Florida score points against this Georgia's de- Georgia defense, Graham? They're going to have to run the ball effectively. This is a Florida offense that is built around being able to run between the tackles and rely on an abundance of running backs, whether it's Naquan Wright, who really didn't have much of a featured role in the last couple of weeks as he was kind of dealing with a few things behind the scenes. But Montrell Johnson, the sophomore running back from Louisiana who followed Billy Napier here, he's been fantastic this year, as has the freshman Trevor Etienne, a name that I think a lot of Jacksonville fans are obviously very familiar with, a lot of college football fans, of course, and he's had a great freshman year. He's now being used on kickoff returns. They have to have Florida. They have to find a way to break some big runs and make it so that they can just kind of strike quickly at a time because when they've been able to keep pace with the team, like they kind of did against Tennessee there where it really did come down to the final play, when Florida can keep pace there, they have a chance to be in games. But you mentioned that stat about yards per play. I think the jarring thing that probably stands out to me, and I don't know how quick Georgia's offense really is this season, but this is a Florida offense that is really content with running 40 to 50 plays a game. You're not going to see Billy Napier go out here and kind of air it out 40 times a game and try and dominate the clock and run a no huddle offense. They are very keen on, especially if they have a lead in the second half, excuse me, they're really keen on running the ball eating up some clock, slowing it down. So if Florida is going to, I think, score against this very incredible Georgia defense, they're going to have to have some big plays go their way. And that really hasn't been something that you've seen too much this season. If they have to rely on Anthony Richardson to make some plays with his his arms and obvious passing situations, that's a situation that Florida does not want to be in. They're going to rely on the running backs to establish themselves so that Florida can really operate uh, outside the run game effectively. Because if they can't, they're going to have trouble all day. Jordan, you mentioned with Georgia, they haven't been at full speed. I think that's been lost a little bit because people are going, well, Georgia, maybe they're not number one because we don't see the vertical passing game as much. But you mentioned A.D. Mitchell, who went off in the opener against Oregon. He's been on, he hasn't been out there. Then you got Jalen Carter, who I agree with you, is the best player by far, no matter what position on that Georgia team there on the inside that defensive line. So how good is this Georgia team now that we're going to see Saturday? And is it going to be one that's better 
here in the next two, three, four weeks. I think that's the case, that they're going to be better, especially once Jalen Carter can get out there. And, and two, not to, to shortchange A.D. Mitchell. I mean, this was going to be their number one receiver, and you saw a little bit of that in the Oregon game. It's kind of unfortunate for him to get hurt, especially it being very early in that Sanford game. But, you know, I think this is big, them coming off the bye week, some of the guys getting healthier. Among them, Stetson Bennett, who had taken a shot in the shoulder uh, against Missouri, and you could kind of tell in the games after that, started slow against Auburn. You could see he had a good game against Vanderbilt, but he kept working his arm. You could tell he was really kind of favoring his throwing arm, uh, but he talked to the media on Monday, said that he was feeling good, felt a lot better after the bye week. So, yeah, I mean, I think this is a team, you know, Georgia's schedule this year is very much backloaded. I mean, playing teams like Florida, playing Tennessee, playing Mississippi State, playing Kentucky, uh, but I think that they have a chance to prove that they're worth a little bit of the hype. You know, it's kind of funny. They're still the number one team, but they're not even the most talked about team in the SEC. You know, Tennessee would have that moniker for sure. But I think they have a chance to really prove themselves. And probably anyone, you know, more than anybody, probably this defensive line. You know, having to play without Jalen Carter, pass rush has not been what we expected. Um, They've only had seven sacks through seven games. They need guys to step up, especially with the quarterbacks they're playing. Anthony Richardson, you know, Hendon Hooker, Will Rogers, uh, Will Levis as well. They've got to be able to get after guys. And this is going to be a proving ground for some of those younger guys to show that they're up for the challenge. Florida and Georgia, the world's largest out door cocktail party. I don't care if they keep trying to say that's not what it's called because uh, whatever. That's what it is and always will be. Even if it goes home and home, it'll just be uh, cocktail parties there. Gentlemen, thanks for joining me. This has been fantastic. Florida and Georgia kick off at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time Saturday, and you can watch that on CBS. For our producer, Lance Glenn, I'm Brandon Marcello. Thanks for listening to the College Football Daily. We'll see you down the road.